Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, all the bowl games are done with the exception of one game we got left coming up here in a few days. You say it went okay for the ACC? Uh, ended up going okay. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, there have been worse bowl years. Let's, let's put it that way. I think overall, considering how bad this conference was for a majority of the year, Joey, I think the ACC ended up showing okay in bowl season. I think so too. Um, I, I was impressed. I mean, I think the, the conference came out around 500 or maybe a little better and, you know, that's pretty good, especially in a year where you would say that the conference probably had a down year, right? Um, overall, it went kind of five and five, and there was a cancellation in there, but that's that's the best you can ask for, I think. I think that's pretty, that's pretty good, especially in a down year. Yeah, you got that, and then you have a team who is playing in the national championship. So, you know. Speaking of which, and that's a professional uh, radio uh, transition right there, by the way. It is. Uh, yeah, so we're going to recap all these bowl games here all at one go, Mike. Uh, we, we're going to start out with the two playoff games. Uh, we'll probably briefly hit on the non-ACC playoff game here, but that's where we should start. Uh, number two, Clemson, 30. Number three, Notre Dame, three. Uh, this is a huge win for Clemson. Uh, this was a really strong performance from them. They, th- it wasn't always easy. You know, Notre Dame gave them quite a game and made a lot of things really hard on them. And we, we were tweeting, um, you know, kind of around halftime saying that, look, the score is 23 to three, but don't, don't sit here and act like this is that Notre Dame is just not any good. I mean, they, they made Clemson earn it. It's just Clemson was good enough to earn it and make a lot of plays that they had to make to kind of get that separation early on. Yeah. Um, if, if you hate Notre Dame, you saw this game one way. And if you don't hate Notre Dame or just don't care, you saw it another way. And I think that was pretty clear uh, in the reaction, at least on, on social media uh, when looking at this game. So in my opinion, watching this game, the final score of 30 to three probably is not as close. It, it doesn't seem as close on paper with the, with the yard discrepancy and the final score as it maybe actually was, right? Um, it seemed like Notre Dame, at least early on, had Clemson a little bit on their heels on the offensive side of the football. Um, Clemson locked down in the red zone. No, you know, Notre Dame had to settle for three early. Uh, there, there were some things that Clemson did defensively that they had to adjust early on in this football game uh, in order to really give Notre Dame some trouble. The reason why Notre Dame lost this game, Joey, is because they only had 88 yards rushing. Now, we talked about mm-hmm. this in the preview for this game. We said that in order for Notre Dame to have a realistic shot at winning this football game, one of two things needed to happen. Ian Book had to have an unbelievable game throwing the football, a near-perfect game through the air, or Notre Dame was going to have to find some semblance of a rushing attack. Turns out neither of those two things happened, and that's why Notre Dame lost. The reason why Notre Dame lost was because of the running game or lack thereof and because Ian Book was unable to get the job done through the air. That's the consequence of playing an outstanding Clemson defense, right? And that's why they lost. That's a separate discussion from the reason why the margin was 30 to 3. The reason why the margin was 30 to 3 and a 27-point loss for Notre Dame is because it was clear to me, at least, that Notre Dame's depth is not what Clemson's is. That's abundantly clear. Notre Dame has the top-tier talent, the first-team talent, especially on the defensive side, to hang with a team like Clemson. Where you see the discrepancy between a team like Alabama or a team like Clemson and uh, a team like Georgia, I'd argue, versus 
legitimately almost everybody else is other schools do not have the depth of talent that these top level schools have. Julian Love, Notre Dame's All-American cornerback. When he was in the game, Trevor Lawrence was 9 of 18 for 80 yards. When Trevor Lawrence comes back out with Julian Love out of the game, left the game due to injury, Trevor Lawrence was 15 of 18, Joey, for 278 yards and three touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Two of those touchdowns were directly against Love's replacement, Vaughn. The other one was a consequence of Vaughn being in the game instead of Julian Love. Notre Dame had to help with safety with the safety over the top. You had Alohi Gilman, who's a very good safety for Notre Dame, matched up against Justin Ross, who runs a 4-3-40, the true freshman for Clemson, who had an outstanding game, uh, ran right by Gilman. That is a mismatch, Joey. That is mm-hmm. a mismatch. For as good as Alohi, Gil- as Alohi Gilman is, he does not run a 4-3-40, and Justin Ross does. And Trevor Lawrence is outstanding as a freshman even as a freshman at picking out those mismatches. So it completely changed the game when Julian Love left for Notre Dame. The defensive scheme changed. That was abundantly clear. Uh, Clemson had a lot more trouble scoring when Love was in the game because Notre Dame was in their base defense, a defense that they were comfortable playing against Clemson, a, a scheme that they were prepared to play against Clemson with. And when he left the game, they really had to alter things in such a way that Clemson was able to take advantage of mismatches all over the field, which... One more thing, Joey, they mentioned this during the telecast when Tony Elliott was interviewed uh, by ESPN before the game, you know, they were they were talking to him about the offensive scheme against Notre Dame's defense. And, and Tony Elliott mentioned that they're always trying to find Waldo. You know, where's Waldo? Where's a weak link in the Notre Dame defense? And he said the difference between Notre Dame and the other teams that Clemson has played this year is that Notre Dame does not have that Waldo guy. Well, that Waldo guy came onto the field as soon as Julian Love left the game. Clemson found Waldo. Lawrence goes 15 of 18 for 278 and three scores when Julian Love was out of the game. And that is why it was 30 to three. Other than that, I thought Notre Dame showed that they can hang with Clemson. If everything, you know, if all their first team talent is on the field and everybody's healthy. But as you know, it's a playoff game. Things happen. Injuries happen. And for Notre Dame, in order to make the next step and not be a laughingstock the next time they get to the playoff, they need to continue to develop the talent, continue to recruit talent, and have more guys behind their starters who are able to step in and play at a high level in order to compete with a team like Clemson. Because over the course of four quarters, you can't hang with Clemson's depth, at least at this current time for Notre Dame. You talked about how good Justin Ross was, Mike. And to put this into a little bit of context for the people, if you didn't have a chance to watch this game or kind of weren't aware of what the cumulative performance was, he actually only had six catches Thing was, he took those six catches for 148 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he single-handedly kind of, you know, helped Clemson get that separation, and and really it was a difference maker. Um, yeah, Notre Dame. It was pretty clear early on. I mean, they they were having a bit of a having a bit of luck, maybe moving the ball against Clemson, but they got themselves in a hole, and they kind of had to abandon the run game to some degree. It just really wasn't working. Um, they finished the game collectively with 88 yards on 35 carries. I mean, that's not going to get it done for most anybody, but certainly not for a Notre Dame team that kind of built their offense on and around the run. Um, yeah, really impressive showing from Clemson here. We talked about going into the game, the the lack of Dexter Lawrence after the the drug uh, you know drug test failure suspension that was kind of sketchy. But then again, when are they not sketchy? It really wasn't an issue. Austin Bryant comes up huge. Two sacks, added another tackle for a loss. Um, he led the team with six tackles. Overall, the team had six sacks and eight tackles for loss. I mean, 
the defense was all over it. Um, you know, Notre Dame just there, nothing was coming easy to them. And, and I think that's kind of what, what you see from a team like Clemson that is that complete is that they can make anything hard for anybody. You know, there, there's heavy passing teams, heavy rushing teams and everything in between, and, and they make it hard for everybody. So um, really impressive performance here from Clemson. And like we said, I mean, they're, uh, they're on to the college football playoff, Mike. Just like we predicted at the beginning of the year, I would argue that this was the most complete showing that we've seen out of Clemson maybe all year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they haven't had a ton of opportunities to show what they were made of against really good teams this year. And once again, we've talked about this at length, not necessarily their fault, just a down conference this year. But, you know, they had an opportunity in this game against a playoff team. And I mean, 30 to three is no joke. So they took full advantage of what was given to them. Trevor Lawrence was phenomenal in this football game, mm -hmm. Joey, and Clemson gets the job done. They're going to have a great chance to win against Bama. I mean, I know Alabama's, we'll, we'll get into their game here in a second, but uh, Clemson's going to have an excellent opportunity if Trevor Lawrence plays like he did against Notre Dame. Yeah, he made hardly anything in the way of a mistake. Um, really impressive performance from the freshman. We talked about the possibility that he would have a quote-unquote freshman moment, and it just it never came. Um, he he kind of stood in there and had a really good game, so good on him. Still waiting for it, and I'm not sure it's going to come, Joey. I'm, I mean, he's I mean, he's the real deal. He's the I real mean, deal. if anybody's going to make it happen, it's going to be Alabama, right? Right. So I get we'll see come Monday night. Yeah, keep an eye on that. Uh, Clemson 30, Notre Dame 3. Let's move on, Mike. And briefly just wanted to hit on this other playoff game. Number one, Alabama 45. Number four, Oklahoma 34. Um, Alabama gets out to a big lead. I, I think they were up like 28 to nothing or 28 to three or something. I mean, it was – it got out of hand pretty quickly here in this game. Um uh, but as we kind of talked about in terms of at least from a betting perspective, Oklahoma is the kind of team that was going to find their way back into the game. Um, they, they eventually kind of came up with a backdoor cover here that quickly almost turned into a bad beat there at the end of the game with Alabama taking a knee inside the 10 yard line as, as the uh, clock expired. Um, but once again, I mean, yeah, as, as we've told you for months now, Mike, it's going to be Bama Clemson four for the national title. So uh, buckle your seatbelts and maybe go watch some film from the last three years because you're going to get uh, the same two teams, although they look significantly different than they did last year at the very least. Yeah, you and I were texting back and forth, and we said great teams cover. Mm -hmm. um, Oklahoma found a way to cover. Uh, mm -hmm. This was exactly kind of how we thought it would go. It just took a little bit longer for it to be interesting. Um, Alabama jumps out to a huge lead, which – I wasn't necessarily expecting Oklahoma to struggle that much that early in the game offensively, but it really took them almost a full quarter to, to get things rolling. And by then Alabama was up by multiple scores and Oklahoma was really going to have to pull a rabbit out of the hat to make this thing competitive to their credit. They did. Um, they got a few stops on defense, which was a nice surprise. Um, you know, Kyler Murray had an outstanding game. He's a freak. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I'm hoping that's not the last we see of him on a football field. But, you know, if he's going to go play baseball, he'll be making ridiculous plays on the baseball diamond as well. So we'll we'll see how that all turns out. Um, no indication that he's going to be playing football moving forward. Of course, he signed with the Oakland Athletics. But um, Tua was great. Tua had more touchdowns and incompletions in this game. He was the uh, Orange Bowl MVP. Not really a surprise there. He looked fully healthy and. Fully healthy Tua makes Alabama a completely different animal. Um, they're going to be really good. We'll come back and we'll preview Alabama against Clemson and 
for the fourth year in a row. Uh, third third time in, in four years that they're doing this thing for a national title, but uh, it'll be a really interesting game. These are two really, really strong teams like they always are, and this is kind of where we thought we'd be at season's end. We thought it would be Alabama-Clemson, thought there would be a good chance for that to happen, and lo and behold, here we are. Mike, I, I have to admit, I'm really not an NBA guy, so – Please let me know and call me out if I miss this reference, but I'm pretty sure this is uh, this is Warriors Cavs at this point. This is absolutely Warriors Cavs. Yep. I mean, but like not anymore because, you know, LeBron's not with the Cavs. And so it's that's pretty much a done deal. But yeah. yeah, So uh, good luck with Clemson Bama four. It's going to be fun and we'll see how the TV ratings compare to the first three times. But uh, like you said, Mike, we're going to come back and preview that game and give you the full rundown and hell we might even uh recap it live right after the game so uh you know stay tuned we have a way of doing that yeah yeah it happens um so once again number one alabama 45 number four oklahoma 34 let's move on mike we have 10 more bowl games we got to talk about that involved acc teams we're going to do these uh the good the bad and the ugly style uh we'll start with the good then we'll go to the bad and then we'll hit the ugly at the very end um just as a, a bit of a spoiler alert here, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, you're going to be kept waiting here as we uh, wait to preview the or wait to discuss the ugly until the very end. So, oh, oh boy, oh yeah. boy. Uh, but we'll start here, Mike. Number twenty, Syracuse, thirty-four. Number sixteen, West Virginia, eighteen. Uh, that in the Camping World Bowl. Really good showing from Syracuse here. Um, this was a game, you know, quite you know all the way through the first half, and then uh, Syracuse was struggling a bit on offense there in the first half and then kind of caught fire at a halftime. They scored on all four of their uh, drives coming out of halftime uh, for a total of 20 points and really just kind of put the game away there. Really good showing from the orange and took care of business against a bit of an, um, un, what I'm going to call an undermanned West Virginia team, but really they they were just missing a couple of key players in particular quarterback Will Greer. Uh, yeah, I think overall, uh, for Syracuse in this game, you know, we can make excuses for West Virginia, not having Will Greer, of course, you know, moving on to the NFL draft, do what you gotta do. Um, Miami's best quarterback, Jack Allison, uh, 17 to 35, 277, one pick, um, ACC fans. I, I know, you know, that Jack Allison used to play for Miami. And if you don't, well, here you go. He used to play for Miami. Um, he's still their best Miami quarterback. Wish he still played for Miami. I was going to say, he is still their best quarterback. Too bad he now plays in the Big 12. Um, <laughs> so he has a respectable showing, 277 and a pick. Uh, I was pretty impressed with Eric Dungey, Joey. I know he threw the two interceptions, but he was 21 of 30 passing, did have a touchdown pass, went over 300 yards because that's what Eric Dungey does. And there were a ton of points scored for Syracuse in this football game. And we knew there would be. Uh, it took them a little bit a little bit longer to get going than we thought it would, but, um, you know, having the 17 fourth quarter points to really put the game away, uh, 10 wins for Dino Baber and Syracuse, Dino Babers and Syracuse and Joey, you and I mentioned this early in the year. We were like, man, oh man, Syracuse has a hot start. And now they're hitting, hitting the rocks here in October to a degree, like they're winning ugly or they're losing. Like what, what is happening with this team? But you turn around and they have a 10 win season. Um, you know, their first 10, first double digit win season since early 2000s, I think 2001, maybe, um, you know, they lose a weird game to Pittsburgh in the middle of the year. But besides that, their only other losses were to Clemson and Notre Dame. So you have a 10 win season. And um, besides that pit loss, there's really, you know, you really have a hard time pointing to something, something else there where you're like, man, Syracuse, like, what are you doing? Uh, but you find a way to get to 10 wins. Do you know, Baber certainly has this thing going in the right direction. 
And it'll be really interesting to see where Syracuse goes from here now, because you're not going to have Eric Dungey anymore. So how do you kind of, how do you respond moving forward? Who do you have in the quarterback room? Is that guy going to come close to Eric Dungey's production? So that'll be really interesting to see moving forward and how Syracuse's defense will continue to develop will go a long way to determining how good they'll be in the Atlantic and how much staying power they'll have in the Atlantic division. Because you know the traditional powers, it's only a matter of time um, before Florida State comes back, Louisville with the new coaching change, and so on and so forth. So it's going to be really competitive um, here in the ACC for years to come, but it's going to be interesting to see where Syracuse goes from here because this is a great stepping stone, getting back to 10 wins. And Dino Babers definitely has this thing going in the right direction. Yeah, it's interesting if you want to go back and kind of dissect how Syracuse got here. I think there's a couple of key things. I mean, there's there's partially the down ACC. There's partially they were able to win a couple of close games. I think there's a lot to be said for Eric Dungy staying healthy the whole year. You know, he was he was there the whole time, whereas in past years, he's kind of found a way to get hurt just through wear and tear, I think, eventually. So I think there's a lot to it. But at the end of the day, I mean, a school like Syracuse going from back-to-back four and eight seasons to a 10-win season is, is nothing to shake a stick at. Um, really impressive coaching job from Dino Babers. Um, I don't know if this is a super repeatable thing just yet. I, I don't know if Syracuse is recruiting and coaching on a level that is going to, you know, you're talking about another 10-win Syracuse team, you know, that's going to continue to threaten everybody next year or not. But for the moment, I mean, it's it's been a really good year, and this is one of the best old tie-ins that the ACC has, and Syracuse has been able to go out and, and win pretty convincingly over a, a ranked Big 12 team. I mean, at worst, that's a season to remember for Syracuse fans everywhere. I, You know, props to them. You know, really, really good year for the Orange. Um, just really, really impressed with what Dino Baber is able to do, making a change from years one and two into year three. Yep, without a doubt. So good one for you, Syracuse. Uh, They win 34-18 over West Virginia. Uh, We'll move on, Mike. First, really the first ACC bowl game there was in in a game that I I really wasn't feeling hopeful for the uh, the ACC team here, but they pulled it off. Wake Forest 37, Memphis 34. Uh, Memphis was without their star running back, but either way, I mean, this was a bit of a shootout, and Wake Forest I thought was really, really impressive in this game. Um, they found a way to stop a run in a, in a lot of ways that I really just did not think they would. Um, they had not been all that good at it this year, and uh, Wake and Memphis, a particularly good team at running the ball. Wake was up to the challenge. Um, Wake stepped up and took it on. Jamie Newman had a hell of a game here for Wake Forest, 22 of 40 through the air, but for 328 and a touchdown. Uh, he also had 23 carries for 91 yards on the ground. Um, Alex Bachman caught seven of those 22 completions for 171. Um, Wake Forest got the plays when they needed them. Um, they they went down pretty quickly in this game to Memphis. So I think it was 28-14 at one point, but uh, Wake came storming back and really was able to subdue Memphis for most of the second half. Memphis had 24 in the first half and only 13 in the second. Um, Memphis misses a field goal with a gun that would have tied it and uh, sent it to overtime. But at the end of the day, I mean, a win's a win. And Wake Forest got it done, and I, did, I really was not expecting that they would. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I was either. And the one question that continues to come up now when I watch Wake Forest is, why was Jamie Newman not the starting quarterback all year long? Like, that's that's the real question, Joey, because he has over 400 all-purpose yards in this game. You know, you mentioned the 91 yards rushing, three touchdowns on the ground, 328 and a touchdown through the air. 
I continue to be really, really impressed with him every time he takes the field. I think the future is very, very bright with him as a starting quarterback for Wake Forest. Uh, I'm sure they'll have a quote unquote open competition as soon as Sam Hartman gets healthy because Sam Hartman was, I mean, good. He was he was solid for them in the early part of the year. You and I mentioned multiple times how we liked his game a lot. That was before we saw Jamie Newman and Joey. I like Jamie Newman's game a little bit more. That was going to be my question is like, is Sam Hartman's job gone at this point? And frankly, I mean, as much as you want to stay loyal to your guy, I mean, I couldn't blame Dave Clawson if it was gone. I mean, Jamie Newman performed really well here in the you know four games after uh, he came in for Sam Hartman. So at some point, I think you got to kind of stick with him. Yeah. And I think they will, uh, you know, they'll have a, they'll call it an open competition. I'm sure just to keep it competitive. And that's what you should do as a division one program. That's, in a major conference, but this has to be Jamie Newman's job in my opinion, but we'll see how it shakes out. He also gives you a little bit more on the ground than Sam Hartman does, I think, which yeah. probably helps things, you know, or it might, might kind of lead to some of where uh, that success came from. Yeah. While we're talking about this game, we did get an email from Mr. Keith Derrick um, while, you know, he's watching the end of this game. Uh, he, he wrote us saying Memphis deserves to lose this game because they didn't go for it at the end. Ridiculous. They sat back and put it on one player and granted he should have made the field goal, but the loss falls in the Memphis coach. Pathetic. I'm so happy for Wake Forest. They outplayed the Memphis team and congrats to the Wake Forest players who played for their coach this year. Um, I, I agree a little bit. If you, yeah, you talk about gamesmanship and kind of how this went. Memphis got themselves into field goal range and still had a chance to move the ball a little more and kind of chose not to played it safe. And it ended up beating them. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things you hear a lot of people talk about. You know, there's a difference between, you know, playing to win and playing not to lose. And oftentimes when you play not to lose, you, you end up disappointed. Yeah. It's, you know, a series of late game decisions we talk about all the time with the interesting clock management and late game coaching decisions. And Joey, I mean, we saw it today. I'm, you know, we're recording this here New Year's Day. Uh, you know, Penn State has some questionable late game decision making uh, late in their game with James Franklin electing to kick a field goal when they were down by six with about four minutes to go instead of going for a touchdown when they were inside the 10. And, um, you know, you have Ohio State throwing the ball when they're up two scores with not a ton of time left. And, you know, you, it really just makes you wonder with some of these coaches making the decisions that they make. Um, you know, we saw even even last year, Lincoln Riley. Uh, of Oklahoma in the, uh, in the orange bowl, I guess it was, um, you know, he made all, all sorts of late game blunders as well. I mean, you just see this year after year with like really intelligent head coaches, just making very interesting decisions. And that's no different here for Memphis with Mike Norvell. So, um, another up and coming coach making a questionable late game decision, just add them to the long list. Happens to the best of them, Mike, uh, Wake Forest 37, Memphis 34. That was in the Birmingham Bowl. Brought to you by Jared. I don't know if you picked up on that during the game, Mike, but this is sponsored by Jared, the Galleria of Jewelry. Good God. Could we have some more commercials, please? I Just making sure you caught on to that because they were pretty subtle about it, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, only every single commercial. Yeah, like almost literally. Um, yeah. So if you're on the uh, advertising firm that was working with Jared on that one, I have some choice words for you. Anyways, right. Wake 37, Memphis 34. Let's move on, Mike, to the Belk Bowl, where your Virginia Cavaliers 28, the South Carolina Gamecocks missing Debo Samuel, zero points. Um, this was, I think this went kind of the way that I thought it might have 
I'm not so sure how excited South Carolina is to be here, and they've also been ultra inconsistent. Meanwhile, Bronco Mendenhall had had his team really fired up and ready to go here. They came out and and just really left nothing to doubt. South Carolina couldn't do anything on offense in this game. They finished the game with 43 yards on the ground and just barely over 250 total yards. Virginia has over 42 minutes of possession in this game. I mean, they just kind of owned this game from start to finish. Um, really impressive showing here from Virginia and, and, and dominating what is a, a pretty average to above average SEC team. Jake Bentley against Clemson in the regular season finale went for over 500 yards. And mm-hmm. South Carolina was never really close to winning that game against Clemson, but Jake Bentley made it really interesting to continue to watch, right? Um, mm-hmm. They had the it factor. They were scoring a lot of points. It was a lot of fun. Jake Bentley in this game against UVA was 17 of 40, Joey, passing for 218 yards and two interceptions. He looked like a Woof. completely different quarterback against a defense that, while Virginia's defense has been good all year long, they are not Clemson. And that was, that was real, real ugly. Uh, by South Carolina there in this game. So outside of the passing numbers, South Carolina as a team, 19 carries for 43 yards, Joey. Mm. Um, mm. That's For those of you doing the math at home, that's 2.3 yards per rush. That is really, really, really bad. So uh, for all the good that Virginia did defensively in this game, you just I have to draw the parallel or, or the comparison, I guess, between you know this game against UVA for South Carolina and the last time we saw South Carolina play against Clemson, where they looked like an offense, like bat out of hell, like defense couldn't get stops, but they could still score and everything was fine. And they look like a completely different team on the offensive side of the ball. So that highlights the inconsistency that you mentioned that we've seen all year out of South Carolina. But Bryce Perkins, really nice game, three touchdown passes. Jordan Ellis, 106 yards rushing on the ground. Um, Zacchaeus, three touchdown receptions in his final game. So hell of a way to go out for Zacchaeus he's an all ACC talented receiver although you know this conference is so stacked that and he's been playing with some inconsistent quarterbacks over the years in his career at Virginia but he's had a really nice career overall and um, Virginia gets the win here by four touchdowns shutting out an SEC team this is in my eyes outside of Clemson showing um, in the playoff game this is probably the most impressive showing out of the entire conference so far this bowl season. Uh, Virginia, you know, winning this game by four touchdowns against an SEC school and shutting them out to boot. I mean, really, really impressive. I believe this is the first time South Carolina was shut out since like the mid '90s or something like that. Yeah, rough. Um, man, that, that's a that's a really good showing from uh, from Virginia there. So props to them. And, and like you said, hell of a game from Alameda Zacchaeus. 12 catches for three touchdowns and, and 100 yards to boot. Um, really not bad. It's it's crazy to think that, yeah, a South Carolina team that just put up, you know, 35, 38 points, whatever it was against Clemson, now gets shut out in, for a full four quarters against Virginia. Um, real good showing for Bronco and his boys. Yep. Real and good showing. Get a, get a win and some momentum to uh... – inevitably lose to Virginia Tech at the end of next season. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, finally, Mike, talking about the good, Duke 56, Temple 27. Whew. Wasn't always good. No, it wasn't. Uh, Temple was up in this game 27-14 relatively early, and, and it wasn't looking good for Duke. Um, Temple had a couple of picks in the first half and ran one back for a score and was moving the ball on offense, and then all of a sudden Duke just decided, nope, and they just took over the game. Daniel Jones 
finishes with 423 yards passing, five touchdowns. Um, Quentin Harris even got some action in this game. They kind of used him in some creative ways. Um, Duke really hit the Jets and scores the final 42 points of this game to win 56 to 27. Yeah, my one takeaway is Daniel Jones. Uh, we saw good Daniel Jones in this game, Joey, which hasn't always been a thing. Uh, 423 yards. You mentioned the five touchdown passes. Uh, you know, really trying to find a way to get the job done. He had a touchdown run as well in this game. Um, it, you know, six total touchdowns that he accounted for. Uh, consequently declares for the NFL draft as we expected him to, but uh, goes ahead and does that after the game. So, hey, heck of a way to go out for your final game as a Duke Blue Devil for Coach Cutcliffe. And you go and, you know, you just account for six touchdowns. You, you know, your team comes storming back after facing a two touchdown deficit to turn this thing into a laugher in the second half. Not what I expected. And if you were even watching this game in the, in the first half, this was a major, major surprise that this ended up the way that it did um, because Duke was really struggling early in this football game to slow down Temple and to score in their own right. And they found a way to get the job done, uh, made some great adjustments there. Uh, and, and this game really, really changed in the second half. So uh, testament to good coaching for David Cutcliffe. Really interesting, uneven season for Duke, but they end it with a bowl win. Daniel Jones now uh, going to be entering the NFL draft, Mike. Yep. Um, he is going to the draft. He is, depending on who you ask, like a top three or four quarterback prospect, which tells me immediately that boy's going to get overdrafted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And somebody's going to put him in way before he's ready. What's mm-hmm. hey, Nate, Nate Peterman? Sup? Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. Um, he finishes his senior year completing 60.5% of his passes. Um, his career completion percentage is probably somewhere in that range. His career high completion percentage on a year, just shy of 63% in his freshman year in 2016. Yep. You know, I, I saw a really interesting article that Bill Connolly did last year talking about Josh Allen, where he he profiled NFL quarterbacks that were drafted for the last, I don't know, several decades and basically showed that whatever your stats are in college is your ceiling. There is a there is effectively zero chance that you will have better stats in the NFL than you had in college. So just know that that, you know, God love him. You know, his, he's got tools. He's got size. He's, you know, he's fast. He's been coached by uh, David Cutcliffe, which has gone a long way in the NFL and all this stuff. But you're talking about a guy that might cap off around a 61% passer in the NFL. So, you know, at your own risk, at yep. your own risk. Yep. And not even at your own risk drafting that it's at your own risk, spending like a top part of the first round pick on him. Yeah. And if you got taken the second or third round, that's fine. It's going to be interesting to see how many general managers are conservative in their approach and taking a quarterback. It's the story every year with these NFL teams. And Daniel Jones is likely not worth a first round pick, in my opinion. He's probably, you know, a second, third round type talent who has the potential to be pretty good. Like we've seen it at Duke. He's got the potential to be good. And he's fun when he's when he's got it clicking on all cylinders. He's really fun to watch. So. There is upside there, but you've got to really be careful in what kind of pick you're using on this guy. That's for sure. Because it's it's not a situation where he's going to be stepping right in and he'll be ready right away. He's going to be a guy who's going to need a little bit of seasoning before he's thrown into the fire. Absolutely. 
Duke 56, Temple 27. So that concludes the good, Mike, as Syracuse, Wake Forest, Virginia, and Duke all come away with their own uh, varieties of impressive win here. Let's move on to the bad here. And we're going to start with your Hokies. Cincinnati okay. 35, Virginia Tech 31, this in the Military Bowl. Um, you know, Cincinnati was probably the better team. Certainly, I think throughout the course of the year, they were the better team. But Virginia Tech had their chances in this game and just kind of found a way to lose it, Mike. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right. I feel like we've been doing the same <laughs> recap all year long. It's been the it's been the same sort of deal, right? Um, yeah, French repeat. Yeah, it's exactly. Um, this has been a really interesting season for Virginia Tech. When the Hokies needed a stop on defense, they couldn't, and when they needed the offense to come through on a big drive to put the game away, they couldn't, and that's exactly what happened in this game, Joey. So. Virginia Tech has the lead uh, in the fourth quarter with about, I don't know, seven or eight minutes to go. They have it fourth down and goal at, or I'm sorry, fourth down and two at the Cincinnati seven. So they can pick up a first down without getting in the end zone. Uh, Ryan Wills comes out under center. They run a play action pass. They had both Damon Hazleton and Dalton Keene wide open. Dalton Keene, uh, the Virginia Tech tight end, uh, out in the flat wide open. Uh, It's kind of like a play action fake with a bootleg and Ryan Willis mishandles the snap and then the pass rush got free and Willis never really was able to get a full handle on the football. He had two guys wide open, one for a touchdown, one for an easy first down, if not a touchdown and Dalton Keene, who could have easily gotten into the end zone. Instead, uh, they fumble there and Cincinnati recovers there on fourth down. Uh, Cincinnati eventually drives down and takes the lead later on in the game. And Virginia Tech is in a situation where you could have gone from up three to up 10, but instead you go from up three to down by four. So it's 35 to 31. And then you're scrambling, trying to move the ball up the field with a minute and a half to go in rainy conditions where you're in a predictable passing situation. And your offense is heavily predicated, as we've seen all year long, Joey, on throwing fade passes, the lowest percentage play in football. Um, That is a major, major issue. So. That's, you know, story of the season for Virginia Tech. It's hard to get too upset or angry about it. They had their chances in this game. They've had their chances this season. And like we've said so many times, they blew it. Uh, They need to clean a lot of things up, starting with the passing game and the scheme heading into next year. I understand you have a lot of athletic receivers on the outside, guys who are six foot two, six foot three, that you have not had in quite some time at Virginia Tech. And you fall in love with throwing fade passes, especially with a guy like Ryan Willis, who happens to be really good at throwing the fade. Uh, But you have to have an offensive scheme in the passing game that's going to work and be higher percentage when you need when you need a first down, when you have to pick up that third and five, third and six. And Virginia Tech has not consistently had that this year offensively. And that's been a major problem on that side of the ball and on defense. You know, you can't have running back quarterback, whoever go right up the middle right through the heart of your defense and you have guys in position to make the tackle who are just unable to do so. That's not on youth and that's not on coaching. That's on, and it's not on the defensive scheme. It's on the players to make those plays and they were unable to do so this year. So a lot to clean up on both sides of the football, Virginia tech's first losing season since 1992. Mm. Um, Really, really rough, Joey. That's I was born in 1992. So that's 26 now, 27 years running, right? That, They've had winning seasons and they were unable to finish a drill this year and even get to seven and six. And 
you think about the end of the year, you know, they needed a miracle to beat Virginia. Um, pretty much everything had to go their way and Virginia had to fall on their face and they win that game. They beat an unmotivated Marshall team the weekend of the ACC championship. Marshall had absolutely nothing to play for. They knew what bowl game they were going to go to. They were sitting there at eight and three on the year. They didn't necessarily have to play that game. Marshall comes to Virginia Tech unmotivated. They lose handily. You know, Virginia Tech wins that game. And then Virginia Tech at six and six by the skin of their teeth reaches the bowl game and finds a way to lose like they have been doing all year. So after all that, you end up with a losing season anyway. Just a lot to clean up within the program. Everybody needs to look in the mirror, starting with Justin Fuente and the offensive coaching staff. They need to find a way to be better next year. And Bud Foster, for the first time in a really long time, needs to look in the mirror as well and say, how can I do my job better to put these guys in position to be successful? Because the defense was a problem all year, and we're not used to seeing that in Blacksburg, Joey. Not at all. I I think that as you look at 2019, Mike, it's got to be a really important year for Justin Fuente. Yep. I mean, even so, yes, first year they go, what, 10 and three. Last year they went nine and four. But we've talked about it. I mean, that, it felt kind of like an empty nine and four. And it featured a, a pretty disappointing loss to Georgia Tech and three losses to probably three of the four best teams that you played. Got a win over West Virginia to start the year. But other than that, it really wasn't an awe-inspiring nine and four. And we'll talk about a team here in a minute that kind of had that same situation uh, this year. But now this year, yeah, the first losing season in Blacksburg since 1992. And by the way, you made some listeners feel old by bringing up the fact you were born that year. But that's fine. That's fine. Yep. Um, I, I was a whole year old when that whole thing happened. So, you know, I, I'm yeah. complicit in this whole situation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not not the best look. Um, and it, it is just it's interesting kind of looking back. And when Justin Fuente took the role here, you know, we all felt like this is this perfect fit. And things have not really gotten better since then. They, they seem to almost be getting worse. And, and of course, this year was, it was a transition year. There's a lot of rebuilding to be done on the defense. And um, there, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but especially on his side of the ball, you know, where he was an offensive guy and, and ran a really good offense these last two years at Memphis. We're not seeing that in Blacksburg. And maybe you can kind of draw your own conclusions on, you know, why that is or, you know, what's going on. But I just I can't help but feel that 2019 is a really important year for him and his tenure at Virginia Tech. I don't know if there's a whole lot that he could do next year to get fired. It might might hinge on bowl eligibility, which is a relatively low bar, especially for Virginia Tech. But um, I, I just think that it's kind of the thing that, you know, he's got a chance to redeem himself. But if not, it, it might kind of spell the beginning of the end of his tenure in Blacksburg. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think next year is really important. Uh, like you mentioned, I don't think it's a situation where he would get fired or anything like that next year, but I think it would really, it, it would, it would turn 2020 into a real make or break year where we're talking like hot seat territory. If, you know, we have another six or seven win season in Blacksburg, cause that's not what he was hired to do. Absolutely. Um, I mean, generally a good, a good game from Cincinnati here. We'll bring up um, if it wasn't just, you know, Virginia tech being bad. I mean, they, they weren't, terrible but Cincinnati just made a few more plays to win the game um, ran the ball really effectively they had 256 yards on the ground and four scores um, overcame you know. a quarter overcame a quarterback injury too like yeah their starting quarterback gets hurt early in the game Hayden Moore comes in and he wasn't wasn't great through the air he was pretty good on the ground though was able to get 64 yards rushing a touchdown and mm-hmm. like Cincinnati's done all year they've made their hay you know with their running game yep yeah, so good showing from Cincinnati. It's just 
Um, Virginia Tech didn't do a whole lot to uh, to combat that. It felt like in a lot of in, in in certain cases where they really could have probably made a huge difference. Yep. Cincinnati thirty five, Virginia Tech thirty one in the Military Bowl. Uh, let's move on, Mike. The other game we got in the bad category. This is the Hyundai Sun Bowl. Stanford fourteen, Pittsburgh thirteen, and we have to start by making making mention of the fact that Stanford won this game by scoring two touchdowns, one of which was the most you know. Uh, uh, swear word alert. So if you're if you're listening, just scroll forward here a little bit. Mike Stanford, the winning touchdown was an absolute bullshit bullshit play. Um, yeah. It was lucky trash. Um, they KJ Costello is you know being swallowed up on a run play where he probably had a an, a read option that he read the wrong way. The ball comes out and just falls into the hands of his running back who's already in the end zone. I mean, yep. it was the luckiest nonsense you've seen in a game in a while. Um, Pittsburgh didn't really do a whole lot of moving the ball on their own end. I mean, they got a couple hundred yards on the ground, um, average about five yards per carry. Kenny Pickett, not efficient through the air, only completed 11 of 29. 136 yards is really not not great. Um, kind of a, just a disappointing performance from Pittsburgh. I mean, I thought that they should have probably been able to pull this one out. This is not a particularly good Stanford team who is playing without their best player on offense. I really would have liked to see a little more from Pittsburgh here, more than 13 points in a, in a close loss. Like we've seen so many times with Pittsburgh this season when they've had trouble, uh, you know, having any sort of efficiency in the passing game and they've become one dimensional on the ground, you know, teams scheme for that, right? Because they know Kenny Pickett is what he is. He's a game manager. So if they're able to slow down the run at any measure, you know, these opposing teams feel pretty good about their chances of beating Pittsburgh. Well, you know, Pittsburgh, like you mentioned, I mean, they scratched and clawed. They got to 200 yards on the ground. But like you mentioned, Kenny Pickett was not good in this football game. That ends up being the difference in a low-scoring, ugly Sun Bowl affair in very good weather in El Paso, by the way. It's not mm -hmm. like a situation where this was like a gigantic rainstorm and all hell's breaking loose. This is a 14-13 to 13 game in near-perfect conditions on New Year's Eve. And there was just no offense to be had, especially through the air for Pittsburgh. Pickett only going 11 of 29 for 136 in this game was not very good. Skinford scores, like you mentioned, off pure fumble luck at the end. Um, but that's kind of, I mean, you were expecting it to be ugly, and it was. And um, it was one of those games where it's hard to feel good about either team coming out of it. Um, Artega Whiteside, though, three catches for 90 yards for Stanford. He's really good. Uh, too bad Stanford has a lot of trouble throwing the football because KJ Costello, turns out he's a lot like Kenny Pickett, Joey. Mm-hmm. So ugly, ugly, ugly. These two quarterbacks, by the way, combined for less than 37% completion percentage. Yeah. They were combined yeah. 17 of 46 through the air um, for, you know, not even 250 yards combined. Real bad. Not pretty. Not pretty. And it, I mean, it's a windy day, so I kind of get it a little bit. But man, like when, when Stanford completes six of 17 passes, that is not a sight for sore eyes. Um, Really, it was kind of a quick game. I mean, it was a couple of teams who were just trying to run the ball. Um, a combined 76 carries across the two teams. Pittsburgh ends up with uh, upwards of 33 and a half minutes of possession. So they kind of outpossessed Stanford. They outgained Stanford by 140 yards. I mean, Pitt had a chance to win this game. They just couldn't really convert on their chances. And Stanford just made a couple of plays and, and got kind of lucky, I think. Honestly, a pretty good showing, all things told, from the Pittsburgh defense. Um, holding yep. Stanford to just a shade over 200 yards of offense. And, 
you know, 14 points. Like in most days, that should get it done, but the offense was not cooperating. Um, I, I believe Kadri Allison went down with an in- injury in this game early. Um, so it didn't help not having him. Darren Hall fills in decently, going 16 carries for 123 yards and a touchdown, but ultimately just wasn't enough to get it done. I watched this game, Mike, too, and one of the things I thought while I was watching it was about Kenny Pickett and how a year ago, you know, we watched him lead the upset of Miami there at Heinz Field at the end of the year, and we thought there was a lot of promise. And this year, I feel like as much as Pitt, yeah, they won the division and and all this, I mean, completes 58% of his passes, you know, 12 touchdowns, six interceptions. Really would have liked to see more from Kenny Pickett here in his year back. Yeah. Uh, he was not great this year. Uh, I'm not really sure what we were kind of expecting. I mean, I think we we knew that Pittsburgh kind of you know caught lightning in a bottle at the end of last year when they were able to upset Miami, and we were like, oh man, like what's this offense look like moving forward? Like obviously they lean on the run heavily, but what was the passing game going to look like? What was Kenny Pickett going to look like? You know, as a full time starter, and now we see it, and it's not as good as a lot of people have hoped, right? So. I don't know. There needs to be improvement in the past game for sure for Pittsburgh. Um, you know, then I, you know, if you like punts, this was the game for you. There were 15 of them total in this game. Mm-hmm. And for a game that was as quick as you mentioned, they still found a way to punt 15 times. So yeah, not, not great. Um, you know, Pittsburgh wins the division. The only reason they won the division is because it was a down year for the ACC. I mean, let's call it what it is. Pitt finishes the year seven and seven. Um, in most cases, you can't go seven and seven overall and be the representative in the ACC Coastal <laughs> for the conference championship game. So, direct consequence of the conference having a bad year. It is what it is, but it has to be better, especially through the air heading into next year. Really needs to be. Um, disappointing kind of finish of the season there for Pittsburgh in the Sun Bowl. Stanford 14, Pitt 13. And it's time, Mike, to move on to the ugly piece of this recap show. Oh, yeah. And I know exactly where we can start. Where should we start? Should we start with a quick lane bowl in Detroit? Let's start with a quick lane bowl, Joey. Minnesota 34, Georgia Tech 10. Whoops. I have a I have a note on here, and I'm going to read it to you verbatim here, what I wrote in our sheet, Mike. Yep. Quote, yuck. Yeah. Yuck. Uh, ugh. This was this was all sorts of bad, Mike. This was yeah. ugly as hell. Yeah. Uh so much for the uh, win one for the Gipper, huh? Yeah. No uh, kidding. So, so much for that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, okay. Muhammad <laughs> Ibrahim. Yeah, let's start with this. Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota. 31 carries. Yeah. Good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, 31 carries, 224 yards, and two touchdowns, Joey. Is that good? Ball game, Joey. Ball mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. That did it. 7.2 yards per carry. It's pretty good. Not bad. He was a he was a load, man. Georgia Tech's defense had a hell of a time trying to tackle him. And he's only listed at 5'10, 205, but I feel like he runs way bigger than that. I mean, he he was just driving the pile and breaking tackles. And I mean, he is he was hard for Georgia Tech to get down in this game. Yeah. He's an absolute workhorse, and the Georgia Tech offense on the flip side had a lot of trouble moving the football, and I feel like this is where I need to turn it over to you because you have some opinions on this that I can't wait to hear. Uh, yeah. I, 
I think a decent amount of this game does come down to the defense just being ill prepared to to stop you know Minnesota's rushing attack. They only forced Minnesota to throw the ball 13 times, and I mean they all that stuff. So it's not it was a poor performance from Georgia Tech's defense. I was really disappointed in the offense too here, Mike. Um, yep. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was the way that the quarterback situation was was handled. Um, Taquan Marshall played, the, you know, all but one drive of this game for Georgia Tech. Um, and, and people would say, or, or Paul was asked about this in the postgame press conference, was saying, like, why didn't you bring in Tobias Oliver, who's been a really good change of pace and all this for most of the year? And the answer was, well, the stuff that was going wrong in the first quarter, first half, like, it wasn't, you know, something that Taquan was doing wrong. It was, you know, other people. And it's like, okay, maybe, but – you know, the, the offense has also looked a little different in terms of play calling and style. Maybe that fixes something. I don't know. At the end of the day, Mike, it felt like Paul Johnson managed this quarterback situation in a way that was meant to honor and kind of send out the seniors more so than really try to win the game. Um, Daquan Marshall finishes this game four of nine through the air for 76 yards. And there was a couple of kind of bright moments in the passing game, I thought, that was kind of nice. But more importantly, 22 carries for 75 yards. He averaged less than three and a half yards per carry on 25 carry or 22 carries. Yeah, he had half the team's workload. Then you bring in Tobias Oliver just on one drive, Mike. Nine carries for 69 yards. You're telling me that bringing that guy in in the second quarter wouldn't have made a difference, right? I don't know. It it, it really felt like you know, Paul Johnson was not as hell bent on winning this game as he was on, you know, showing a little bit of love to his senior quarterback to Quan Marshall and some of his guys. And, and it, I mean, you know, whatever, it's fine. It's the freaking quick lane bowl. Like who cares? And it's, I think it was pretty clear too. It was really quickly clear that Georgia tech really didn't seem like they wanted to be there at all. Um, you know, all those players that were on Twitter, all torn up and upset when it was announced that they were going to a game, on, you know, three slots lower than they realistically probably should have. I think that carried over the whole time. I mean, they there was just some some lethargy there, and I, I just I was really disappointed in the way that the team played. I, I would have liked them to be able to send out Paul Johnson on a bit of a more you know celebratory kind of occasion, you know, a big win, rack up 400 rushing yards just like old times, and send him off with a bang. But 44 carries for 206, um, and, and it took him until the third quarter to even get in the end zone, and ugh, ugly. Ugly, ugly, and um, it just really disappointed, Mike. Really disappointed in how Georgia Tech came out. Yeah, and I'm kind of disappointed that Paul Johnson, for his final game, didn't have the team more ready to play. It's just, yeah, um, for as many issues as Minnesota has had on offense this year, it, it was surprising to see them really just go up and down the field with little resistance for a majority of this football game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tech did very, very little in the way of resistance here. Um I mean, Minnesota, it felt like they were just conver- – I mean, they were 7 of 11 on third down. Um, when somebody outpossesses Georgia Tech, you know it's a problem. Georgia yep. Tech is always going to have the ball for 34 to 36 minutes on, like, most, you know, most games. Minnesota had the ball for close to 31 minutes here. I mean, they held the ball for over half the game. And that's when you can just you can just tell. Um, oh, yeah. They outrushed Georgia Tech. Um not a lot of good to, to say about this at all, top to bottom. Nope. It was really, really disappointing, really embarrassing. I, I, I really hate it for Coach Johnson, but it, it was also just kind of – it sucked that the players very clearly just didn't want to be there. And, yep. and that's what happens in bowl games sometimes, I guess. It was not good. Not good. It was in the uh, the ugly category, some might say. Yeah. You know you know what else was ugly? Uh, what's that? Um, Miami. 
for the second year in a row. Uh oh. Yeah. yeah, we should probably move on here. Uh, so Minnesota 34, Georgia Tech 10. Let's go there to the Pinstripe Bowl, Mike. Wisconsin 35, Miami 3. Whew. Um, not good. Not good at all. Um, Miami's quarterback situation, maybe that's a place to start. Um, did it go? Did it go okay, Mike? Uh, as predicted, Joey, uh, it did not go okay. Quite poorly, really. Quite poorly. Uh, Malik Rozier, thanks for playing. 5 of 12, 46 yards, 3 interceptions. He threw 12 passes and got 46 yards. Yes, 12 passes, uh, attempted 46 yards, throws 3 of those passes for interceptions. Nikosi Perry, fresh off his latest porn film, 1 of 5 (laughs) passing for 2 yards and a pick. 1 of 5, 2 yards and a pick. I had to say it again for emphasis. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark Richt. Turns out this is his final game coaching. Little did we know. Um, we, we knew it was Manny Diaz's final game at Miami, or was it? Uh, we'll get into that in a second. That's mm. a lot of you, I'm sure, know by now. So Miami has a lot of trouble moving the ball in this game. Malik Rozier had a 62-yard run in this game. He had three carries for 90 yards, but that was about it for the Miami offense. They had 23 carries as a team for 121 yards. Uh, couldn't really get the ball moving all game long. Everybody's favorite 40 plays, Mike. Yeah, they really just didn't have the ball at all in this game. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah, um, because when you have a guy like Jonathan Taylor at running back, you can do you can do things like that. Um, Twenty-seven carries for two hundred and five yards and a touchdown for one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in college football. And that's basically all she wrote. Uh, Jack Cohn uh, played this game instead of. Alex Hornibrook, uh, six of 11, 73 yards, a touchdown pick. He was pretty underwhelming, but, you know, that is what it is. They just ran the ball the entire game. That's what Wisconsin does. They had four touchdowns rushing, 333 yards rushing as a team. That was it, 35 to three. And when you turn the ball over four times, you know, looking at Miami, that's when you, when you play a team that's ultra efficient on offense, you know, not flashy, but efficient, they can get the job done when you give them the ball four times. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened here. Yeah, this game was only 14-3 to at halftime. I mean, it felt like Miami was at least a little bit in it. Their defense kind of put up some some of a fight, I guess, against Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin, one of their two touchdowns in the first half was a seven-yard drive. I mean, it was a one-play seven-yard drive that they came off of an immediate interception to start the game by Miami. So immediately found themselves in a 14-0 hole. The Miami defense really, I mean, I thought was really good for a lot of the middle part of this game. And then all of a sudden, kind of late in the third quarter, they realized they're getting absolutely no help from the offense, and I think they just kind of quit. Um, Last four drives of the game for Wisconsin, four plays, touchdown, five plays, punt, three, five plays, touchdown, ten plays, touchdown. Um, They score with about eight seconds left on the clock and kind of an emphatic way to end the game. Um, Miami's defense, I think, kind of just checked out and said, you know what, forget this. Um, Yeah, not, not pretty at all. Um, most of Miami's yards came on like three plays. And other than that, this was an exercise in futility. My, Wisconsin had the ball for almost 40 minutes of this game. Not good. Yep. Yeah, this was thanks for the ball. We'll sit on it. Thanks again for the ball. We'll sit on it. I mean, that's what Wisconsin did. And it worked because they kept converting their drives into touchdowns. So when you have the ball for that long and literally every single one of your drives is either setting you up deep in Miami territory or putting the ball in the end zone rather than kicking field goals. This is what's going to happen. You're going to get blown out. And when you look at Miami, Joey, they've had issues on offense all year. 
We knew that come season's end, regardless of the result in this bowl game, there were going to have to be wholesale changes on the offensive side of the football in regards to the coaching staff, personnel, primarily a quarterback. Um, you know, we saw in-season transfers. As far as Jeff Thomas transferring out of the program, their leading receiver. We know what the quarterback situation is. Mark Richt, in related news, his son is the quarterback's coach. We knew that was going to be a issue um, come season's end, as he would probably have to be relieved of his duties. So jumping into the news portion of this, since, you know, we don't have a ton to talk about when it's 35 to three, Joey, um, I guess, you know, Mark Richt was told after the game that there would have to be wholesale changes to the offensive coaching staff as you know, we chronicled throughout the year and Mark Rick said, okay. And then about 24 hours later, he said, you know what? I am not okay with that and ends up retiring instead of firing his son and a couple of his assistants decided that he didn't want to go on as the head coach at Miami. So that changes things a lot because now you have Manny Diaz, Joey, leaving his job at Temple that he had for, oh, I don't know, 18 days. And turns out he did not coach his final game at the University of Miami as the defensive coordinator. He is now staying on staff never even left Miami to go up to Temple was staying in the Miami area for a couple days after the game and hey he's not even going to leave he's not even going back to Temple he's now the Miami coach and they made that hire within what was that 12 hours of Mark Rick announcing that he was retiring so mm -hmm. we hey Joey you mentioned this a couple weeks ago we were talking about the coaching carousel on that podcast that we had you said it you said hey when Mark Rick retires in a year or two or maybe even three you know who they should call? They should call Manny Diaz. It's going to be so, the first call they make. Yep, it's going to be the first call they make. And full credit to you, Joey. We did not think that this was going to happen this quick, but you called it. So uh, congrats to you on making that call. Um, let me know what lottery numbers you're playing and whatever else you got going on. So I'm, I'm not sure what kind of cell phone plan Blake James is rocking at this point, but I'm pretty sure he didn't even burn through all his minutes for the month on this uh, whole Manny Diaz hiring situation. Nope. He made, made that first call, and yeah, it was like it was literally it was like 10 a.m. We found out Mark Richt is retiring, and by about dinner time, they had a new head coach. Um, yeah, Mike, what was your favorite game of the Manny Diaz era at Temple? Uh, my favorite game was the one where he had the introductory press conference. Oh, yeah, yeah, he won the press conference up there, yeah. Um, so he is undefeated at Temple now, is uh, for what it's worth. Um, yeah, so Mark Rick's swan song becomes this uh, pinstripe bowl. It's it's interesting that we kind of draw these conclusions, though, Mike, of talking about having to make wholesale changes and it quickly resulting in a retirement. I have a feeling that that's a little bit the same thing of what happened maybe with Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech. Um, I think there was some pressure on him to get rid of a couple of his assistants and make some changes on his coaching staff that would have involved guys such as like a Mike Seawalk who is like his best friend and, you know, they've been coaching together for 40 years and the whole thing. And he just wasn't going to do that. You know, it, it wasn't worth it to him. Um, yep. Seems like it's kind of the same thing that happened here at Miami where they said, Hey, Mark, you know, you, we'll, we'll bring you back. We're willing to keep trying this, but you know, you, you got to make some wholesale changes and start the firing your son. And he said, Nope, not going to do that. So um, yeah. <laughs> Strange times at Miami, to say the least. Um, we also got news today that all of their uh, linebackers are coming back, which I have I have opinions on as far as how it relates to uh, their ability to make money. But, yeah, Shaq Quarterman, Mike Pinckney, um, those guys, all of them coming back. And, you know, 
part of me hates it because now I get to watch my team play against them again. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know that any of those guys got anything to prove. So they, they clearly got a real love for Manny Diaz and that's kind of why they're going to come back. But um, just interesting times at Miami and curious to see what they can do now with uh, a little bit of time left in, in the recruiting period before they uh, finalize the signing class here that seems like it kind of started to fall apart there a few weeks ago when they found out that Manny Diaz was going to be leaving. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a good hire, but I think it's completely dependent on what they do on offense here and who he hires as far as his offensive staff is concerned. Um, as we record this podcast, it's a little bit up in the air. Um, there have been some names thrown around, Larry Fedora being one of them, as far as an off- potential offensive coordinator position, which would be hmm. something. Um, I, I got to be honest, I, I don't hate it if that's if that's the route they're going to go down. I mean, there, there are worse things you can do there. Um, so I've, I've that seen that interesting take. at the very yeah. least, it would be, it would be interesting. So that's been thrown out there. Major Apple white, who, um, obviously with his departure from Houston is now on the market. Um, uh, that would be another name to watch. Uh, at least it's been thrown around here early. Don't mind that one either. I think that would be another really good hire. So if they end up pulling the trigger on, you know, a really good hire, as far as an offensive coordinator is concerned, um, I, I think they'll be fine. Uh, defensively, you know, they're going to be okay. It doesn't sound like Manny Diaz is going to be calling the plays on defense. At least that's what he mentioned in his uh, introductory press conference or the the conference call that they had. Um, he's got a formal press conference this week, but it doesn't sound like at least at the outset he wants to call the plays defensively, but he'll have a hand in that, and we know how good they've been. So really just depends on how the offense is, and if they can fix a quarterback situation, I think Miami will be back towards the top of the coastal division sooner rather than later because we know the talent is on the roster at the very least it is interesting and last thing on this before we move on it is interesting to me that they went with a guy who as much as we've talked about him in the past not having had a head coaching opportunity and thinking that maybe it was time you know that he kind of deserved one it's interesting to me that they this is who Miami went with you know it, it didn't surprise me and I honestly thought it was a pretty good hire for Temple to go with Manny Diaz I'm a little bit skeptical of Miami going to a first-time head coach. And that doesn't mean it won't work. And, and we've seen it work in certain places, namely Georgia, where Kirby Smart had never been a head coach, and that's going okay. Um, but for Miami now to go to a guy who has no no experience, even though he he's familiar with the program, and that's obviously very beneficial, I, I just I'm curious to see if or if it doesn't work out. You know, if there's some it just seems like it's there's some significant differences being a head coach versus a coordinator and, and whether he can kind of keep that up and build a successful program around it. We'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin 35, Miami three last game. We've got a, an actual result on Mike. Uh, number 19, Texas A&M 52, NC State 13. This game um, went a little bit kind of like we told you it was, Mike, um, where. NC State just not sure how much their nine and three record really meant. Um, we talked about how last year's Virginia Tech nine and four team was pretty relatively underwhelming and felt like it's a bit of an empty nine and four team. I got this year's empty nine and four team, and I think it's NC State. Um, we talked about on the preview, and I, I talked about how I, I'm not totally sure if I'm an NC State fan how happy I am. You know, if you look back at the last two years of this program. With their roster and what it's been and all the talent they're going to have sent, sent to the NFL by this April, you had two nine and four seasons with about the most talented roster you could ever ask for. Is that good enough? You know, as you start evaluating Dave Doran and, and what he is, and now you're not only going to not have Ryan Finley moving forward, 
you also don't have his offensive coordinator, Eli Drinkwitz. So I, I don't know where you go if this is like where you cap off, but this is a, a, a really, you know, major thud of a way, I think, to end the season if you're NC State. It is. And, you know, the game was pretty competitive early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really, really wasn't. Um, outscored by 31 points in the second half. Uh, shut out in the second half, mm-hmm. actually. Um, Ryan Finley, not great in this game. I He was 19 of 32, which is fine. But 139 yards, touchdown, and two interceptions. Ryan Finley actually underwhelmed for a good part of the second half of the season. So that's something to watch for um, in regards to how or where he's drafted here. Uh, come April, because he's going to be one of the first quarterbacks off the board, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, come NFL draft time. Uh, Joey, our buddy Jeff Greenberg, and you know this already, but, um, you know, we we were talking about this beforehand. Feels like this is really important to bring up as we discuss. Hey, these have you know, we know that these have been two of the more impressive teams for NC State in quite a long time as far as talent is concerned. But it seems like Dave Doran consistently underwhelms like he has teams that seem like like they're ready to play, then they get in big games and they flop, right? And Dave Doran, as a head coach, Joey, is 0-19. 0-19 against teams who have finished the year in the top 25. That can't be right. 0-19, dating back to 2013. So his time at NC State then? Really bad. Man. Um. So there are three teams this year that are going to finish in the final poll, uh, the final AP top 25. Uh, those three teams are Clemson, Syracuse, and Texas A&M. NC State, of course, lost all three of those games by a combined 83 points. Ooh, not even competitive. Not even competitive. And it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, Dave Doran is going to be this coach who recruits well and wins the game and, and by all indications he's a good guy he's got a good staff he's uh the, you know the players really enjoy playing for him it's not that it's just that he's got a team that's going to beat the teams they're supposed to beat and they're going to beat some good teams right and i'm talking like fringe top 25 teams but when push comes to shove he's going to have a really hard time beating the ranked teams like the teams who are really really good top 15 20 in the country mm-hmm. nc state has really struggled since he's gotten there at beating those types of teams. And you go down these results, Joey, we were doing this before we hit record here tonight. There's only a handful of games here where you look at NC state and you're like, man, they were actually competitive in some of these games. A lot of these games in the O and 19 record here, a lot of these, you know, dating back to 2013 that Dave Dorn has lost at NC state. Haven't really been all that competitive. Um, there were a couple games in 2016. They had 24 to 20 lost Florida state, uh, Florida state finished the year. Number eight, um, they had a 27 to 13 loss to Miami that was relatively competitive that year. But, um, you know, 2017, they had the 38, 31 loss to Clemson. So th- there were some games in there where, and, and that was damn near an upset. So NC state's had some opportunities as Dave Doran's been the coach, but a lot of these games against top, top notch competition haven't really been all that competitive. Uh, yeah. And that's, it, it's one thing. I think there's been a few of those. You mentioned the teams in the top 25 that in the year, there's been a few of those that were competitive games where they almost knocked off a Clemson. They almost knocked off a Florida state a few years ago, that kind of thing. But if, if anything is the most concerning about this, it's that, that stat that you brought up about these three games that they lost this year by a combined 83 points. I mean, that's just getting blown the hell out. Like yeah. every game. I, I mean, and 
for a team that finishes nine and four, if that's a legit good nine and four team, you shouldn't be losing a set of three games by a combined, you know, 83 points. That's absurd. With an NFL quarterback on your roster, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. A guy that is arguably, if not definitely the best quarterback in the league, you know, I, I mean, you, you put him up against Trevor Lawrence at the very least Finley's got a better track record, you know, a longer track record of success. I mean, he's the best, he's the best draft eligible quarterback out of the handful that we have. Sure. Sure. From the ACC at the very least. Yeah. Yep. Um, the other piece of this, Mike, and that I think was kind of an embarrassing or kind of a black eye on, on this team and on the on the league. Man, AM ran the hell out of the ball in this game. Travion Williams, 19 carries for 236 and three touchdowns on the ground. AM combined goes for 400 yards and five touchdowns on the ground. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. They, I mean, averaged close to 12 yards per carry. Um, Travion Williams at one point had a 93 yard touchdown run in the second half. I just, you know, NC state, they, at one point they led this game 13 to seven A&M scores the last 45 points of the game and yeah. NC state could barely get anything going that whole time. I mean, there was one drive that lasted what more than four plays after they had a 13 to seven lead. Yep. I mean, that is not a good sign. That's, that's ugly, Mike, ugly. Yeah. It was real bad, and there's not a ton to add that you haven't already mentioned in a 54-13 to game, but uh, Travion Williams, uh, yeah, he'll be playing on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good. Not he's, bad. He's just fine. He's just fine. I, I would take him on my team, I think. Yep. Yep. Not bad at all. Hmm. So, yikes, uh, NC State. Go ACC. Um, 52-13 A&M winners over NC State there. Uh, Mike, we do have one more game to recap. And I say one more game is more like um, like 20% of a game. Uh, Boston College and the number 25 Boise State Broncos. This game ended in a uh, in a no contest, Mike. Uh, the way this worked was, you know, interesting. Um, so they got this game started around 1 o'clock Eastern time, I think it was. Um, some lightning storms rolled in, and they ended up in a lightning delay late in the first quarter. Um, I have to go find, I haven't even looked at what the score was at the time, but, uh, seven, seven, nothing Boston college, AJ Dillon touchdown run seven, nothing Boston college. Um, and, and they were, I thought they were, you know, close to extending that lead out you know, going up a couple of scores. Um, and next thing you know, yeah, lightning comes in, they, you know, put the teams in the locker room and that was about all she wrote. They never really came back out, never restarted the game, uh, just outright canceled it. And the, the season was over. It was no contest. Stats don't count, and uh, therefore our picks don't count. Mike, we took uh, Boise State minus the two, and we're not gonna we're not gonna count those. Good old push. Good old push. Um, yeah, so that was interesting and different, and um, there was a lot of players I think that were kind of not all that happy about uh, the way that that went. But you know, it is what it is. So um, safety, safety got- first, Charlie. You know, safety first. That's right. Um, thank God it was the Surf Pro First Responders Bowl. Which, by the way, Mike, the tagline there. Like it never even happened. <laughs> there, there it is. Yep, serve pro. Like it never even happened. Uh, you, you literally can't make this up. Nope. Mike, that's a that's a lot of games that we've just recapped. Anything yeah. else before uh, before we move on here? I think uh, I think we're good. We got to come back. We got to preview the national championship game, Joey. Yep. Which for the third time in four years has an ACC recipient. Sure Partic- does. Partic- sure. Not not recipient participant. They didn't yeah. receive anything, you know. They they worked their asses off for it. 
Yeah, semantics. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, uh, it's this is becoming like the Fast and Furious series, Mike. We got one last ride before the next one last ride, and eventually we'll have another last ride, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, we're going to come back and preview one more game. Uh, Clemson and Alabama in the national title game coming to you from Santa Clara, California. Uh, oh, yeah. A stadium that I have heard nothing but bad things about. So, um, you know, at your uh, at your own risk if you're going to be traveling out there. But we're going to recap uh, or preview that game, and then we're going to recap it probably live right when the game goes final. So stay tuned here. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to get out of here. We will be back soon. You can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. And thank you to those who have, particularly Keith Derrick, who helped us with this email on this here show. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Mm-hmm. Go do that. Please do that. Uh, Mike, they can also find us on YouTube if they want. Uh, they can come check out, you know, uh, you know, the, the video of this. I don't know. It's a thing you can do. Once again, at your own risk. At your own risk, 100%. That's the theme of this show, really. Uh, Mike, you want to come back and preview the national title game? For sure, Joey. Another season coming to a close. Oh. Uh, don't be sad that it, you know, it's over. Just be happy that it happened, Mike. That's what I'm, that's what I'm told. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Then we'll do Speaking like which happy new year. Yeah, happy new year, buddy. We're in this thing again, 2019. We made it yeah. around we made it around the sun once again. That's um, right. So that that's that's good and promising and all that. And uh it's you know, here's to another off season coming up of trying to figure out ways to create content. Absolutely. We've uh, we've at least managed to keep the lights on here on the uh, basketball conference podcast. So For that's sure. good news. For sure. Absolutely. Uh Mike. We're going to come back and uh, recap or recap preview, whatever. I don't know. It's late. I haven't been in a routine for a while. So we're going to come back and preview the national title game and uh, we'll talk then. Sounds good. Bye. All right. Until next time for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, happy new year and go ACC. (laughs) 